much into the contest. It's Thursday, the 15th of April. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Drew Jones and I'm joined by co-host Shane Lee. Hello, Shane. Hello, mate. How are you, buddy? I'm a little bit tired today because it's my son's sixth birthday. So I've been up since 5am this morning setting up Skull Electric. Uh, slot car set. So, mate, early start for me today. Okay, I'm more of a Hot Wheels guy. Today on the show, we've got <laughs> Sarah Ollie and Ben Damon. And, Shane, just so you know, we're also giving away a Spartan Rugby League ball signed by the Canterbury Bulldogs. Now, Shane, the Broncos and the Collingwood Football Club, two of the biggest brands in Australian sport, and right now they're both under the cosh, it would be fair to say. How are the players feeling right now? You've played under immense pressure at the highest level. How are they going to be coping with it? They'd be feeling the pinch. Um, I've fortunate enough to play in some very, very successful New South Wales and Australian teams, and I've played in some pretty poor New South Wales teams as well. And um, when you're losing, mate, as an old saying, you know, winners have parties and losers have meetings. I'm pretty sure Collingwood and the Broncos will be having a lot of meetings at the moment. And um, you know, I think the Broncos, being a one-team town in particular, would be copying it. And every every other team or every, every other supporter in the AFL loves to see Collingwood lose. So, yeah, pressure on both of those big organisations. So, Shane, an interesting one from Kevin Walters in his press conference this week. He said, this team's not mine. It's Anthony Seabold's team. I'm just making do with what I can. Uh, and they're one and four. So they've had a slow start to the season. They've got the Penrith Panthers tonight who are five and zip. It's probably unlikely the Broncos win that. How did a player feel hearing their coach say, oh, it's not my team? What a load of shit. What a load of shit that is. Um, that, that is his team. And how would the players feel appalling? They would feel, they'd feel terrible and not wanted. That is an excuse. And that is not something of a leader or a coach. Slap on the wrist, Mr. Walters. Uh, absolutely appalling comment. And um, it makes the players feel like they're, they're second rate and he has no accountability. I think the Penrith will beat him by 45 points tonight. Here's another one for you. So Collingwood, as we know, had the salary cap purge over the summer. They had to trade out a couple of their best players and they had to get rid of a number of them because they had spent too big in the cap. Do you think that's having an effect on the players, is it possible there's some sort of hangover because they're clearly not at their best so far this season? They're not at their best. But they had a pretty uh, rocky start to the season. You know, all, all the stuff around Maguire, all the stuff around the coach um, and, and losing you know, a couple of key players. Um, I, I just think the club uh, is always under the spotlight, as you mentioned at the start of this, and um, everything is, um, I suppose, uh, uh, highlighted, uh, particularly when you're making mistakes. So look, look, I, I do feel for the players at Collingwood, um, I, I've been watching them play in the, in the first four rounds. Um, they're all having a bit of a crack, um, that's for sure, but it's quite not quite gelling both on and off the field. Yep, fascinating to see how they fare this weekend. They've got West Coast on Friday night, but we're going to talk some women's footy up next. Sarah Ollie ahead of the AFLW Grand Final. biggest sporting event in Australia this weekend is the AFLW Grand Final. It's Adelaide and Brisbane at the Adelaide Oval. So let's break it down with Fox Sports reporter Sarah Ollie, who joins us on Afternoon Sport. 
Hello, Sarah. Hello, Drew. I'm glad to hear it being described as the biggest sporting event in Australia this weekend. More of that, please. Well, it is big news, Sarah, and um, we've got two non-Melbourne teams in, Adelaide versus Brisbane. Yeah, so it's going to be a rematch of the inaugural grand final, which was back in 2017. That was played at Metricon Stadium. It was a bit weird. I don't know if you guys can remember. It was meant to be at the Gabba because the Lions had hosting Mm -hmm. rights, Mm -hmm. but there was an Adele concert and the Gabba pitch got all ripped up. And so the curator cracked the sads and said, no, I've got to get it right for the Ashes. So that was moved to Metricon Stadium. And the Crows, well, they got up by six points that day. So the Lions, there's still a glut of them that were there from 2017. They'll be out for a bit of revenge on Saturday. Yeah, I can remember the final siren going, Sarah, and Sabrina frederick Traub just like collapsing in, in sort of agony because it was a close game. Uh, Adelaide going for their third flag in five years. This is, I guess, they're staking their claim as the best team of the AFLW era. What's made them so good, Sarah? Yeah, well, just on that, I think if they do win their third, we've got to speak about them as a dynasty. When we think about mm. the AFL comparisons with Richmond lately, three fags in five years, that is really putting them up on a pedestal. I think what's made them so successful is they have kept the same core group of players and the same core group of stars. So when you think about the girls that have been there since day dot, it's Aaron Phillips, Chelsea Randall, which I'm sure we'll touch on soon, um, and even Ebony Marinoff, who was the inaugural AFLW rising star. They've got a really strong midfield with the likes of Anne Hatchard and now Chloe Shear being able to run through there as well. And they're just really battle-hardened. I often describe them as being quite belligerent, and I think they've got a style of footy that really stands up on the big stage. And they've been there before, so they know what it's like to win and win finals and win premierships. Sarah, who are the keys for Brisbane, do you think? Yeah, well, do you know what? There's often taggers deployed in grand finals. We don't always see them throughout the year, but... A girl by the name of Kathy Spark, she's been doing it all year for Craig Starsevich. She's had some really big assignments. I think the one that everyone speaks about was on Brianna Davey. Um, I think that was in round seven, the game that got moved down to Witten Oval. And she kept the AFL MVP, Brie was just crowned last night, to 14 touches that day and was really, uh, I guess, symptomatic of the team that day, being able to keep Collingwood really stingy. But they're, do you know what? They're quite different to Adelaide, Brisbane, because they've got a really even, nice spread of players. There's always a player that bobs up every now and then. So last week, Dakota Davidson, it was her day up forward. She got three goals and three of the most cracking goal celebrations you'll ever see. She's quite (laughs) a character. But I think Brisbane, their strength is that perhaps they don't rely on anyone too much. Okay, Fascinating this week, hasn't it been, Sarah? with Chelsea Randall, who ruled out of the game with the 12-day mandatory concussion protocol. It's almost become a discussion that's been more than about football and sport and more than just the grand final. It's really been uh, her emotional story about um, concussion and how she's experienced it in her life has meant that it's been quite important, really, that she's, I guess, hasn't taken it further and has just accepted it for what it is. And if you haven't watched that like I think it's a 90-second clip of Chelsea speaking about her experiences with concussion. I implore you to do so because she's just such a leader and you can see why the Crows girls absolutely love her. And last night she was voted AFL MVP for Most Courageous Award. Again, I think it's the fourth time. So she's an absolute champion. But as you say, this discussion has really evolved and become kind of bigger than the sport and transcended it. I just... Obviously, we don't know much about concussion at all. Some people say that 12 days isn't enough. It should be as much as a month. But then you have people like Nick Rewalt last night saying that 
on AFL 360, if it was him, he'd take it all the way to the Supreme Court to play in a grand final because as a player, that's what you want to play for. And if it was a minor concussion, not one where you get stretched off, that maybe you would be right to play. But I guess that we just don't know. The shame for me is that this discussion, Chelsea Randall was the catalyst for this discussion and she's the one that's perhaps missing the grand final and we don't know if the AFL is going to move this pre-finals by to perhaps the week before the grand final. That's something that's being advocated at the moment. If that does happen, I just think it would be such a shame for Chelsea to be perhaps the only player in AFL or AFLW history to miss a grand final because of the 12-day mandatory layoff. But look, I think what Chelsea's done is fantastic. She'll have a match day role. I think she's saying she'll be centre-half bench. So she'll be <laughs> providing a lot of instruction from down on the field. It is. It's definitely sad for her, but... Um... You know, you only have one brain, unfortunately, and uh, hopefully she'll get another grand final down the track. Now, just a quick one. Who are you tipping? I'm going for the Crows. I just think they're going to be really difficult to beat at home and Adelaide yeah. Oval and yep. potentially with another really big crowd. So the last time they played there in 2019, it was 53,000. I'm actually not sure if they can have that again the capacity, um, maybe they can, but um, mm. I think there'll be a big crowd and they'll be really helping the girls along and, I really think that Erin Phillips might be winning her third best and fairest. And if she does, I think maybe the Norm Smith for the AFLW should just be called the Erin Phillips Award because that will be three idea. from four and what a superstar. Sarah, just on that, I wanted to ask, if Erin Phillips does get the medal, is she the best women's football player of all time? Good question. And we were actually fleshing this out in the office yesterday. I think for AFLW and what we've seen, it'd be pretty hard to go past her. But if you were looking at the broader picture and, you know, the, the girls who are pioneering in the field to get the AFLW started, it's, it is hard to still overlook a Daisy Pierce and everything that she achieved in the lead up to the women's league. But if we're going solely on the AFLW, I think it's pretty hard to argue with Erin Phillips. Well, either way, Daisy and Erin, both absolute jets, as are you, Sarah Ollie. Thanks so much for your time on Afternoon Sport. Thanks for having me, guys. Shano, looking forward to the AFLW Grand Final. It's the Crows and the Lions on Saturday afternoon. Up next, let's talk boxing with Ben Damon. Play Sport is calling Game On for a new way to play, a free platform to explore and be inspired to connect to thousands of sport, rec and well-being activities in your community. Just go to playsport.com. Play Sport, whatever moves you. Shane, as far as boxing talent goes out of the ring in Australia, Ben Damon is as good as it gets and he's with us on Afternoon Sport. Hello, Ben. Yeah, g'day, fellas. Uh, really good to be talking to you during an extremely busy period in Australian boxing. We've been all over the place, obviously, uh, seeing Tim Zhu most recently and Justice Hooney as well and uh, a big week coming up. Mate, this Paul Gallen-Lucas uh, Brown fight, looking at the photo, it's, it's like – Jordan fighting um, Muggsy, Muggsy Bogues. It's like, he looks really, really tall, doesn't he, compared to Gallon? Oh, he's a mountain of a man, Lucas Brown. Six foot five. Uh, he's weighing about 118 kilos at the moment as well. So he's going to have a huge size advantage, uh, Lucas Brown. He generally does in his fights because he is just such a big, big dude. But uh, Lucas Brown is um, someone who's been to the very top of the tree, won a version of the heavyweight world title, of course, uh, mm. over in Chechnya in a famous victory. 
victory in Australian boxing. But he comes up against something completely different here in Paul Gallen. He's only, well, much smaller at five foot ten or so, but um, he is someone who is just consistent and constant. He'll just keep coming forward and throwing shots, and he's incredibly fit and so very, very tough. And the other thing is, He's becoming quite a good boxer. He uh, sort of started off doing this as a bit of novelty on the side, but um, he's a legitimate heavyweight boxer in Australia and he's doing really well. What have you made of the build-up, Ben? I saw uh, Gal the other day punching the hell out of a cake. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they did a, a, a press event yesterday um, and there was sort of two stunts there. Not only did he hit the cake because it was Lucas Brown's 42nd birthday, uh, but also he brought a goat along. Uh, Lucas Brown's been referring to himself as the goat of Australian heavyweight boxing, the greatest of all time. And uh, Paul Gallen's taken exception to that, saying, um, you're not. Um, so he did bring a little goat along uh, in the absence of Lucas Brown at that event yesterday. So that was a, an interesting little touch. But, um, yeah, the build-up has been uh, as entertaining as you'd expect between two really uh, interesting characters. Lucas Brown is someone who's happy to talk it up, uh, especially via his own social media. But um, he said uh, quite a few things over the years about Paul Gallen and his position in Australian boxing. He pretty much doesn't feel that he deserves to be earning the sort of money and getting the sort of acclaim that he has done, um, whereas Paul Gallen has responded, well, people want to watch me, so they're going to pay and I'm going to earn the money and and we're going to get those sorts of ratings. So, um, yeah, it's been a, a good bit of back and forth and it'll really build up over the next week. Um, we've got a press conference, of course, on Monday, the weigh-in on Tuesday and then the fights on Wednesday and there's sure to be some fireworks through the course of all that. Yeah, definitely too. And uh, maybe Paul Gallen's definitely not the goat uh, of state of origin, that's for sure. Hey, let's um, let's talk about uh, Jake Paul, the YouTube star, versus a guy who's a former MMA um, worldweight champion, Ben Askren. Yeah, we can talk about that if you'd like. I don't have a lot to say on it. Um, Jake Paul is someone I've seen uh, in a couple of boxing events, and by all accounts, he's someone who takes it pretty seriously. He um, he's looked the part against some very mediocre opposition, uh, knocked out his last opponent who was a basketballer, um, what he does do is to get a lot of eyeballs on what he does. He, he's a YouTube sensation. Mm. I've never seen any of his work there, but um, they tell me it's um, it, it's uh, indifferent. Um, and <laughs> uh, he's tried to transition that to, to a bit of boxing like his brother did as well, Logan Paul. I think Jake Paul's the um, talented one out of the pair of them. And he takes on Ben Askren, who um, was a, a UFC fighter of some note. Um, it's a fight that will get a, a fair bit of interest because of Jake Paul. He's um, got a huge following. Uh, it is being shown on main events, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes in Australia. Um, I don't know how many of his YouTube fans are from this part of the world, but, um, yeah, fascinating that this is a new thing we have in boxing, yeah. these YouTubers, these uh, crossover athletes and crossover stars coming in and, um, and and deriving a great deal of interest. So I don't think we'll see anything um, too magnificent from a boxing perspective, but a lot of people are interested to see exactly what happens. And to his credit, Jake Paul does work really hard and he can fight a bit. Ben, this is interesting. Because you are a boxing purist, this was a question that, that I wanted to ask you sort of philosophically. Um, it does appear that there is a lot more of the hype contestants when it comes to boxing that are getting I get a lot of the airwaves and a lot of the attention whereas like the traditional boxers who come through the ranks and do it the normal way 
or getting swept to the side a little bit. It does how, how do you feel about that as someone who covers the sport? Yeah, it, it can work like that, certainly. But when you have a mainstream star who is a boxer, that's when you get your really big pay-per-views. That's when you get the mainstream interest. And, and that's when the sport really is humming along. So your Floyd Mayweathers and your Manny Pacquiao's and, and you know, in days gone, Mike Tyson and prior to that, your Muhammad Ali's and plenty in between, they're the ones who really get people talking and get people engaged in boxing in the sport. There's plenty who can dip in and out and can have a little bit of a go at it and can um, make themselves a really decent earn. But, um, yeah, they're never going to get to those sorts of heights and they're never going to have that sort of consistency. Even with Anthony Mundine in this country, we saw him come over and have uh, his first 40-something fights as pay-per-view events, which is just crazy to think that someone could do that, to, to go straight into the sport mm-hmm. on that level and maintain it for so long. Um, so these others who dip in and out, they're not going to have that sort of um, cut through for, for that length of time. So the sport itself is always going to be uh, dominated by the sport itself. But um, these people ducking in and out, it's always been a thing within boxing. Uh, there's always been novelty. People always want to say, oh, this is bad for boxing or boxing is dying. Well, Muhammad Ali fought against a sumo wrestler um, these are just the things that happen. It's uh, part of the sport. There's always going to be fascination with two blokes getting into a ring. Um, it just is what it is. So, uh, yeah, there, there can be some opposition to it, but I think you just have to sort of take it all on the chin and have a thick skin in boxing because it's going to happen. It's a part of it. It is, mate. And there's, uh, there's another side story going with a guy called Billy Dibb who uh, they were saying he could have been a champion boxer, but he's he signed to uh, 50 Cent as a rapper. So he's, uh, he's not allowed to box anymore. Billy Dibb. Uh, uh, signed as a rapper. I'm not sure about that. He certainly did sign with 50 Cent uh, to be his manager when he was in boxing, though, which probably wasn't the smartest move that Billy did made. He won a version of the world title, uh, won an IBO belt as well, uh, an outstanding boxer, Billy Dib, and a really good guy as well. But, um, yeah, maybe pulled the wrong rein in uh, linking up with 50 Cent, who had absolutely no idea what he was doing and essentially just wanted to be a part of the sport because his mate, who then became his former mate in Floyd Mayweather, was uh, also firmly in the sport and uh, looking to tell him that he shouldn't be in there. So, yeah, there are a few who signed with 50 Cent. Uh, He's not around anymore, but there'll always be those sorts of people in boxing. Uh, Managers and promoters come from absolutely everywhere, some of them good, some of them very ordinary, and you just have to sort of uh, hope that these boxers have people around them who can advise them away from some of those uh, uh, sketchier characters. He's um, he's, He's actually lost quite a bit of money, 50 Cent, so I think we call him five cent now yeah i think that's the case so he he, he did and, and him and um and floyd were very very close and then they had a really ugly falling out um yeah it's uh it, it's part and parcel with boxing we see it in australia we see it right around the world these guys um can be so close and uh suddenly they're not talking anymore but uh yeah 50 cent he's got other things to do and that's fine the afternoon sport podcast all the better when shane lee is cracking jokes and all the better when Ben Damon's on it. Thanks very much for your time, Ben. Good luck with a busy schedule. Yeah, thanks so much. Really looking forward to this massive fight on Wednesday night on main event. Then Friday night as well on Fox Sports, we get to see Brock Jarvis, who's Jeff Fennick's protege in action mm. in his next fight. So uh, really busy week next week and good to chat, fellas. 
Okay, that's it for afternoon sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Follow us on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you goes to our guests, Sarah Ollie and Ben Damon, and also thanks to our sponsors, Spartan Sports. Yeah, great sponsors in Spartan Sports, www.spartansportshq.com. And, of course, thank you to our producer, Dan McHugh, and to you, Shane. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon with your daily dose of sports. We'll see you then, guys. Take care.